Oh, hi, Twitter. It's Monday, and we survived the heat wave. But the show is still going to be lit. That's because Zach is reading fire tweets with Frankie Grande, and then I'm sitting down with Lucy Lawless. Cena. The icon. The icon. Well, you stay cool, and we will see you on the timeline. Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, he's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. And we survived that hellish heat that hit um, all of America. Somehow. (laughs) We did not melt. But you know who else did not melt today, or this weekend rather? Who? A pop icon herself. Oh, you don't say. Here's a tweet from Mariah Carey. The only way I'm leaving my house today is with three portable AC units blowing directly at my hair in slow motion. Um, I love that Mariah Carey, famous, famous, famous person, actually has a gif of herself with wind blowing in her hair. She, she has out. multiple gifs of herself <laughs> with wind blowing on her hair, and she is very serious that she needs AC to walk around. I believe you, girl, and I support you in that uh, that effort you have. Yeah, who could blame her? We all needed AC when uh, we're walking around. For sure, but uh, how did you survive this weekend? So I did some strategic planning of uh, all the Ooh, obligations Tell me more about this strategy. Um, we started off at brunch, and then we had to go to a birthday party on Saturday, and so in between, we made sure that there was a bar that we could stop in to have some frozen drinks. So like walked a couple of blocks in the unbearable heat, this. had a couple drinks, walked a few blocks more to the next destination. Sur- survival vis-a-vis vodka. Yeah, well, Very much yeah. my, my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you actually entirely left. The sure city. the hell you did. Got, got the heck out of here. And this is the joke on y'all. I left New York to go to Tennessee, which is typically hotter than New York, but because of our friend global warming, it's the opposite now. So you know, reverse psychology these days. <laughs> and I think there's a treat of me flying into Tennessee that we have. Um, There it is. And as I entered the great state of Tennessee, a rainbow appeared to let all the girls know the homosexual has arrived and you should understand that I'm here. (laughs) I actually feel that nature should be uh, contractually obligated to uh, providing a rainbow wherever you land and wherever you go as editor-in-chief of The Advocate. I have a rider with God and rainbows appear (laughs) everywhere. And literally throughout my weekend in Tennessee, there were rainbows everywhere because because of the heat wave, there were thunderstorms all over Tennessee and after a thunderstorm is a rainbow. Yeah. There we go. Well, thankfully, the weather has uh, cooled down just a little bit. I have a feeling that like we're not done yet. We still have a good number of weeks before summer comes to an end. So let's take up the timeline. How did you deal with the heat wave? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Water. That's what <laughs> All right. So over the weekend, BuzzFeed News published this story about Georgia State Representative Erica Thomas. This state lawmaker says she was told to go back to where she came from. The man who yelled it at her denies it. As the story evolved, Jamila Lemieux tweeted a video of Thomas. Nothing hoax like about it. This is how far too many people feel comfortable speaking to black women. And here to break down what we know about this story and how Twitter reacted is attorney Adrian Lawrence. Good morning. Good morning, you guys. Always so good to see you, especially when we are discussing a complicated story like this. So I want to unpack the story step by step. Can you start at the beginning? What did Thomas initially say happened at a grocery store? Uh, well, what happened here is that, um, and these are largely the words of this man, his name is Eric Sparks. What he said happened, and what she kind of, I guess, agrees upon as well, is that there were three open lanes at this Publix grocery store, and she happened to go to the 10 items or less lane, yet she had maybe 15 items in there. And these three lanes, they were completely open. And so this gentleman, Eric Sparks, he goes to another open lane, pays for his items, Then he goes to management and he complains about the fact that Erica Thomas was using the limited, you know, goods lane, even though they were all open at the time. 
Uh, when management apparently tells him, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do about it, but you're welcome to speak to her about it. He leaves the store. He's so incensed. He comes back and he decides to confront her about it. And then from there is when things kind of, they get a little bit wishy-washy about what happened. But we do know that he said um, several expletives to her and called her a lazy son of a bitch in addition to calling her ignorant, uh, among other things. And he was aware that she was nine months pregnant at the time. And as she explained, uh, she cannot stand for very long, which is why she went ahead and chose that aisle. Mm. And Adrian, on Saturday, Erica was being interviewed by a local news station and Mr. Sparks showed up out of nowhere. What did he deny and also agree with that was said when he entered that interview on Saturday? Oh, well, he agreed to calling her a lazy son of a bitch. And also um, the events that I had just explained, he acknowledged those things happened, essentially that there were three open lanes and yet he still needed to take it upon himself to go to management and leave the store and come back and confront her. And the unfortunate aspect of this entire story is what we've seen over the last two years, essentially with white people continually feeling that they need to regulate the behavior of black people in an open public space. We saw this with barbecue Becky out in California needing to regulate the black people who were engaged in a barbecue in an open park. And now we have the situation with Erica Thomas where she is being regulated when it's really not this gentleman Eric Sparks position in any way, form or fashion to confront her about her use of the limited goods lane in a grocery grocery store, especially going as far as to call her a lazy son of a bitch, in addition to other derogatory terms. And the fact that he isolated her and decided to go after her, when we all know many people use that lane for how many ever goods that they want, it really speaks to the fact that he felt that it was acceptable to regulate her. And something that I continue to bring up is the fact that it's very unlikely that he would have done the same thing if she were a man or if perhaps she was a member of another race, but that intersection of being black and being female as massaging noir becomes problematic for individuals as we live our daily lives. Yeah, I mean, that seems to really be the bottom line uh, about this story. Um, but I saw, you know, a, a lot of people taking this story and just running with it in a number of different directions on Twitter. Can you talk a little bit about um, just what the reaction was on Twitter, what some of the trending hashtags were that we saw, some of those directions that people were taking it in? So we saw a lot of, oh, this is a hoax. This is a fake. She's just looking for attention, uh, even though they both agree that he had confronted her and yelled these expletives at her at the grocery store. Uh, we did see um, a number of individuals stepping up and saying that this is unacceptable, that he treated her this way. And also people calling for publics to step up. Essentially, this is your grocery store, a private establishment, and that you are letting your patrons be treated this way, where this man had no right to come up and to confront her. And remember, um, even if he had any kind of feeling or right, all of the lanes were completely open. And so generally that what um, limited aisle lane is closest to the door, which would be consistent with her story of saying, I can't stand for long and that she was just trying to get out of the store. Um, all in all, this is very problematic. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show and unpacking this uh, for us this morning. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, guys. And yeah, we'll definitely, we'll keep an eye uh, yeah. on this story, certainly, uh, as it continues to evolve. It, will, it continues to boil, and we'll yeah. be watching that pot for a while. Yeah. All right, so here's a tweet from NBC News. A Pennsylvania school district is coming under fire for sending letters to parents demanding they pay their school lunch debt or risk having their children placed in foster care. And here's a, tw a tweet from Senator Bob Casey 
No child should have to imagine the horror of being ripped away from their parents because their family is struggling economically. These letters were callous and should never have happened. Ooh, joining us today to break down the story is investigative reporter Dave Bowman. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. What an honor it is to be on this show. Thank you. It's great to oh, have. Thank you for joining us. It's great, really great to have. All right. All right. So tell us about these initial letters sent out to parents. The letters went out about eight or nine days ago. The Wyoming Valley West School District, uh, which is essentially suburban Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, was having an issue collecting lunch money from a number of people. And it had sent a number of letters before. So the school solicitor put one that has obviously gotten a lot of reaction as being way over the top, way too harsh. And I'll read the exact words to you in the letter. It said, your child has been sent to school every day without money, breakfast, or lunch. The failure to provide your child with proper nutrition can get you to dependency court for, for neglecting your child's right to food. And if you go to dependency court, your child might be removed and placed into foster care. So the implication is here, don't pay your lunch money and you're going to lose your child to foster care. And uh, that was met with some very, very severe reaction. The story, we broke the story Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, the head of children and youth, which is overseas foster care, slammed the school board saying, absolutely no way, no how, are we even going to look into somebody going into foster care just because a parent hasn't paid their lunch tabs. Uh, on Thursday, a lot of the school board members were apologetic. Uh, they didn't see the letter before it went out. And they said, there's no way we would have uh, even thought about doing this. Uh, the school solicitor wrote the letter, stands by it, stood by it, but just about everybody else, including the administrator who signed the letter, said, this was too much. We made a mistake. We're going to keep a close tabs on all the other letters going out. And no, nobody's going to be taken away to foster care because they didn't pay their lunch bill. Mm. I mean, do you have a sense uh, as to why they decided to escalate the message in this letter to begin with? There are people who will get them and it's, it's a, you know, and it has kind of a small town feel to it, the district's. There are some who will say, I'm paying my kid's bill. Why can't the others? You got to do something. And uh, yeah, but the big picture is $22,000. And I'm not saying that's chump change, but in a school board budget, it's, it's not a lot of money. It was an attempt to collect money after several attempts were made and didn't happen. What we don't see the other side is why people aren't paying. People could have moved. People could have, uh, you know, might not be able to pay. And at the end of the day, uh, just because somebody doesn't bring in money or a bag lunch doesn't mean they're being neglected at home, not by any stretch of the imagination. But it was one individual, the school solicitor's belief, that we have to have some strongly worded letters and there may be a problem when people don't pay their bills. Mm. And Dave, what has been the reaction from communities in the area hearing this news? I believe that there are some politicians that have even spoken out on the, the matter too. Ov overwhelmingly negative. There's There has been... There are a few people. We have a section in our news every night that gets a lot of uh, a lot of buzz called uh, talkback, where people call anonymously to comment on the news of the day, and you know, we get a few people saying, "Come on, pay their bills." Other parents pay their bills. One, you have to too. But overwhelmingly, it's been negative. It's been seen as something, you know, like right out of Charles Dickens: "Don't pay your bills, and we're going to take your kids away." Um, and some of the questions: Well, what's the difference between defaulting on a credit card? 
and having your kids taken into foster care, which of course never happens. Uh, so the, the, the reaction has been overwhelmingly negative. You haven't had anybody of any kind of standing saying, yeah, this is a good idea. Uh, one of the problems though is, is okay, if you really do need to collect the money, what do you do? In the past, other school districts around the country have gone to giving peanut butter sandwiches or not letting kids that walk uh, in walk on their graduation day. And in that case, the, the ACLU or other groups have stepped in and the courts are going, you can't do this. You're segregating and shaming the children by circumstances. Uh, this was seen by the man who wrote the letter as a way, at least this puts the onus more on the parents and the students. Um, but nobody thinks it's a good idea. Mm, nobody thinks this is a good idea. Well, Nobody they... of any standing thinks it's any good idea. There are a few people <laughs> in the public that, you know, that have said this is okay. But the, overwhelmingly, it's been negative. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your reporting on the ground and joining us this morning to break it down. Thank you. I mean, oh. this is just like one of those times when you're like, these people are potentially being punished for just being poor and not being able to feed their kids. Completely. Rule. I'm sorry. Cruel. I usually don't get this emotion about this, but I found out this news while going into brunch with my mother. And I immediately was like, who do I need to fundraise for? Who do I need to get with to make sure these kids don't lose their homes over lunch? And first of all, lunch should not be something you pay for at school anyway. So right. That's yeah. my personal exactly. opinion on that. Exactly. We need to do better. Yeah. Well, we have a great show for you today. Later on, Alex sits down with the icon, Lucy Lawless, which is very exciting. Yes. But up next, Frankie Grande joins me for some fire tweets, and they're going to be hella hot. It's time for Fire Tweets, and today I'm joined by singer, dancer, and actor Frankie Grande, who is starring in Henry Danger, the musical on Nickelodeon. Yes. And I love that Frankie is here to help me get through Fire Tweets, because Frankie has all the energy I need to well, wake up this morning. I mean, I was totally jamming to that background music, but then it stopped as soon as the camera She was out here twerking, y'all. I like that music it in the background. Cute. It was cute. We so made it just you. for you. Thank you for just having me. Hi. Hi. So okay. good to see you. So excited to be here. It's so great to have you to start this week for us, because, you know, it's a hell of a new cycle, but Frankie Grande always lightens everything up. Yes, and my eyes match the set, which is like the greatest thing. Can see you that? see? Y'all see like, that, America? It's perfect. It's like I did it on purpose. It but is. I, didn't, I love it. Well, do you know how to play this game? Buttons? Ish. Ish? Okay, Ish, so tell me. We're going to read a tweet. Got but it. before we read that tweet, we're going to hit a button. Okay. Hit a boom, and then we'll have a little kiki. Is it like a race? No, it's not a race. Like I can like, I do it by in. myself. You do it by yourself. Well, why is... I wanna, can we race <laughs> anyway? Oh, yes. Yeah. Fine, we'll race. Okay, we'll okay, let's see. Do you have right. to hit the button quickly? Now. All right, let's try it. Okay, I made it different. All right, so Kristen, you tweet it. Yes. Uh-huh. That's done. <laughs> Being gay isn't all about homosexuality, okay? There's a large percentage that is taking care of pets and then also depression. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> can I hug her? You should hug her. Kristen, can you come into the studio so I can give you a big hug? We'll tweet at her to find her so you can give her a big old hug. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, Aww. so do you want to race me for this next one? Okay, yeah. Okay, right. ready? Three, two, one, go. I won. Okay. Uh, Pan Geth, I hope I said that right, you tweeted, oh, when your sibling washes one plate and your parents praise them, but you clean the house, cut the grass, and build an extension with your bare hands, and all you get is that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, yes. Is so, this reflective of your childhood? Did oh, you do all the work and your siblings get all the praise? Well, so I have a 10-year age gap between me and my sister. Okay. So I was technically um, an only child when I was being raised, there and I did get a lot of, like, my, my mom, I would get home, and I was like, Mom, I gotta be plus. And she was like, why is that not a 
<laughs> like, why didn't you get an A? And I'm like, you know, like I I appreciate that drive mm-hmm. that she gave to me yeah. because I have I from that point on, like I was pretty much an A student straight through everything. Look and, it I, and then it gave me the drive to like always want to succeed and yeah. like do more and be better and also help more people too. Oh my god, and it works. Really helpful. So parents yeah. told your kids B plus is yeah. worth it. Yeah, so she told us she was hard. My mom <laughs> Mama Grande is a hard woman, but she is filled she with seems love. like it. I love yeah. her Instagram. She is so intimidating, <laughs> but so amazing. <laughs> All right, so let's race for the next one. You ready? Yes. Three, two, one, got it. All right, Justin, you, uh, <laughs> Justin, you tweeted, remember, prep is great, but it does not protect against other diseases, such as men. <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. Also, y'all know your status. Prep is, you Get know, tested, you're absolutely all these things. all of those things. Men are trash, oh, all these things. <laughs> yes. yes, and if people I don't know, don't prep is a pill to take um, to prevent HIV acquisition. Yes, yes exactly, so, but it doesn't make you immune to all those other things that are out there. Exactly. So still be careful, you know what I'm talking about? Wrap it up. Yeah. All right, now tweet of the day. We're going to do it together, but since we're racing today, we're going to race it. The bus. Okay, ready? Okay, ready. Three, two, one. Yay! I guess we're it. So, tweet of the day comes from me. Yeah. <laughs> I literally was like, "Who is that?" It's me, um, y'all. Every time I hear anyone say "thank you," next now I say "next." Oh wait, every time I hear anyone say "thank you," next now I say "next." Oh Boom. wait, let me read it again. Every time <laughs> I hear you say "thank you." Now I say next. Get it? Okay, good. I read. I wrote that myself, but I could not read it. Frankie did not know what we were going to give him earlier, so I understand why. But Wait, so every time somebody you do it. Okay, so every time I hear someone say thank you, next. I there you go. Hey, that's how it works. So what's it been like to see that song and really your sister's career just blow up? She I mean, is an icon for everyone. It's been so beautiful, and of course, like I love that that was her, you know, first number one yeah. because like it was a song that she poured her heart and soul into, and mm-hmm. it was so therapeutic for. Her and it became so therapeutic for so many people around the world yes. who are dealing with breakups and how do I move forward? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that it um, is a beautiful song. And uh, every time she sings it in the show, she gets emotional, and so yeah. do I watching it. It's it's really beautiful, and I'm so unbelievably proud of her. Yes. Like this is her year, like times a billion. Yes, and I'm so proud. Queen, Queen, queen. Ariana, Queen. Well, let's talk about a different Queen, which is you. Oh yes, I know. Queen. And let's talk about you are returning to Nickelodeon. Yes, it is Frankie. Yay. And Henry, uh, Danger, for, for a musical special, which yes. is going to have about 26 Broadway musical numbers in it. Uh, is that crazy? It's a lot. It's a lot. But you started in Broadway. Yes. So what was it like bringing those skills to the television screen? Well, I get, it's always been a dream of mine to do um, a movie musical or a TV musical. And the fact that I got to uh, like originate a role mm-hmm. in one, like I, I always thought I would like play one and like, you know, yeah. like rent live or like something like that. But like I, the thing that I get to do is actually originate a role. Yeah. Like I'm the first person to play this. The first person to sing these songs and it was just so magical and also getting to dance like live like that I mean I mean live on set you know but the amount of takes and things that we mm-hmm. got to do is truly um, a test of like everything that I could possibly do as a musical theater mm-hmm. performer and um, I saw some clips and I'm really excited mm-hmm. it looks we really are very good. excited not to toot my own horn but it looks really fantastic but I haven't seen the whole thing yet so I'm really okay. like thrilled well I, it's gonna come soon so we'll all be able to watch yes, it yes I'm watching you. it I'll watch it with you well let's talk about something outside of your incredible career okay. and it's your boyfriend girl ah! 
So I saw World Pride. You were yes. kissing up on him. Yeah. How did y'all celebrate the whole historic weekend? Because it was a very big weekend for us. Yeah, it was a huge weekend. And, um, you know, I celebrated um, by sharing my love, you know, celebrated with Hale, mm-hmm. celebrating our love very proudly and very loudly mm-hmm. because I feel like the thing that um, we had to remember was 50 years ago, we really had to fight yes. for the rights that, that we, there were no rights for us yeah. back then. And I think it's important 50 years later to understand, like, we are still fighting. We must continue to fight because, like, we our rights can be taken away. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in a very, very dangerous political climate right yes. now for the LGBT community. So we need to continue to be vigilant. And mm-hmm. that's what my pride message was. And I was so happy to be able to stand there with my partner holding our hands and kissing under the rainbow flag in order to make that lou- that message loud and proud mm-hmm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking of a message loud and proud, something I admire that you do is mm-hmm. you're really outspoken about sobriety. Oh, thank you. And I'd love to hear what moved you to talk about it so openly because there's so much stigma around it. Well, um, I need, the reason why I wanted to be open about it is because it's my truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was hoping that my truth and my journey would be able to help other people that are suffering mm-hmm. with addiction and um, any any sort of addictive behaviors. And through my posts on Instagram, I've been able to reach so many people. And then through press and being mm-hmm. able to talk one-on-one on um, Twitter or Instagram, um, I've been able to help a lot of people. And that, that was really my, my main goal. You know, like, well, you can't keep it unless you give it away. Mm. And that's kind of my my uh, journey with sobriety. And now it's two years. So congratulations. Like, I'm so excited. That's a tough thing. Two to, years to last do. month. So congratulations Thank on you. That. This is a gift from my sister for my two-year sobriety. Oh, what it's is like, this? It's a tiara and it has the number two on the top. Oh my God. And my name on it. That's She's amazing. So <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of your sister, I yeah. saw a photo of her yesterday with Senator Kamala Harris yes. at a function. Love her. Uh, Love her. She's she's a great, she's a very lovely person when you Look meet her real life. Look at it, so cute. So what do you think as a celebrity uh, it means for you all to get involved in politics, especially this presidential cycle? Like, uh, what is it like and why is it important? <laughs> it's so unbelievably important because um, there weren't enough people um, in the 18 demographic, 18 to 20, I don't know specifically what it is, that, that voted in the last election. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that those people that are, can vote for the first time show up at the polls this year because mm-hmm. I feel like their um, voices were not heard mm. in the last election. And I think that it would be really important to get every single person. That's why Ariana has uh, registration voter booths at mm-hmm. each one of her concerts. I'm going to be very active in this upcoming election um, to try, try to get as many young people to the polls as humanly possible. Because mm. it's it's our country. Like, yeah. it's our future. Yes. Like, you know, it's the young people that have to live in this world that in the future. So, like, let's actually start making change right now. Mm. You know? And I have to, hearing all that passion, I have to ask you a hypothetical. Yes. What would you say to President Trump if you met him? Oof, wow. If I met him, I would probably... What I like to do is I like to allow people into my world in order to then change their opinion. Okay. So I would be respectful and mm-hmm. I would say, you know, like I would love to sit down and like have a conversation with you so you see me as the person that I am mm-hmm. and not this, not the glitter, not the color. Mm-hmm. Like like I am a human being and not just a homosexual stereotype or whatever. Yeah. What, whatever like, and, and I'm a real person. So the things that you do and the policies that you're in, it just casually throwing about are actually affecting me. And hopefully I would be able to allow him to see the humanity and maybe change his mind. I, uh, you know, uh, God, I I hope, one can hope, but I, I would take that approach with him. I wouldn't just like, throw something at I love that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you say, I'm going to be me. I'm going to yeah. show you that being me deserves rights and equality, yeah. even, even if you don't believe it. Like, that. come over to my side. Like, yes. like let's talk about it. You we'll know? be careful. I'll step on your side to talk about it, and then you come over here. You know what I I'm love about? that. Well, yeah. Frankie, thank you so much for thank not you. only being willing to go over to Donald Trump's side, but coming over to my side of the yeah, to hang exactly. out for some fire tweets. Absolutely. Well, 
Thank you again. And you can see Henry Danger, the musical, which premieres this Saturday on July 27th on Nickelodeon. Yay! More AM to DM is up next, y'all. Hi, y'all. Welcome back. This is from A to Z, and here's a tweet from Toni Morrison. Marvel Studios president officially announces Marvel Phase 4, the lineup of feature films for the next two years coming to Disney Plus and theatrical release. Here's a tweet from Micah. We're getting Latina, Korean-American, Chinese-American, Pakistani-American, Black, Deaf, and more representation, a two-time Academy Award winner, an environmentally friendly casting in Scarlett Johansson, amazing three actor, <laughs> women and POC directors, and more. Major, 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 major. People were, of course, freaking out <laughs> over this. I mean, people freak out over Marvel as it is, but to have so much inclusion is incredible. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but in that photo, there was only one white man, and who's Richard Madden, fantastic actor. Uh, you may know him from Rocket Man um, or Game of Thrones. I don't know why I'm doing his PR right now, but <laughs> he may and he's going to be in the Eternals, and his character may be queer. We have not got confirmation on that, but even the one straight man, white man, may be a queer All person. All right. I mean, there I have go. to say, you know, I'm generally uh, very skeptical and question <laughs> when Alex these big studios do anything, and then they want to tout their diversity because I'm like, can you make it a little bit more substantive? Mm-hmm. But in in this case, there is more than one token yes. character across the board. Yes. And <laughs> there are many tokens. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. Alex, when you said that, you're like, well, there is not it's just like one a, token. It's like a, no, it's like just a, a Freudian slip because that is what I am so accustomed what you're getting, to with this. Yes, is that, yes. so they can be like, here is the one yes. XYZ person to like check off, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have done what we need to do. Yeah. So it is, I will say, it is nice to see across the board, across these different movies, mm-hmm. um, there are a litany of characters and different kinds Sorry. of diversity. Yes. So. And what's incredible about this is that people need to understand that this is part of a strategy for Disney. You know, Disney is now like the ruler of Hollywood. Hollywood, as Alex has talked a lot about in her segments on the show, and they are launching Disney Plus, which is a Netflix competitor, and it needs a lot of subscribers to take over Netflix. And by doing, by their strategy for this is to launch all of this content. Like I've never seen so many superhero films at once, but for them to know that they need people that look like us to do so is fact. And it's, and it's like, thank you for catching up. Um, I just want to say, so you mean to tell me that they're not just doing this out of the goodness no, of their hearts? No, no, Girl, no. there is coins <laughs> at the end of this rainbow, which you can see in Lion King this weekend. Blowing up <laughs> the box offices. I loved it. Yeah. yeah, critics, what are we all talking about? It's a delicious film, very enjoyable, not very heady, and I will go back and see all it right. again. All right, yeah. yeah. So there we go. Cool. Well, uh, shall we uh, take it to the people? Yes, the viewers. hear what they want to know yeah. of these films. Yeah. So, oh, it's for me to say, God, guys, I'm just so in my lanking head. Let's take it to the timeline. Which film are you most excited for within the Phase 4 programming? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm You're excited about something. The Eternals. Yeah, yes. me too. Yes. I'm excited about I don't the know Eternals. why I would be you like, is that the one? Yeah, no, I'm also excited about The Eternals. And, uh, you know, we'll be, uh, Scarlett Johansson will be in our thoughts and prayers because she was not cast to play That's Captain true. America's shield. Nope, or a tree. She's playing <laughs> that person. Well, up next, Alex is sitting down with the icon, Lucy Wallace. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm sitting across from a 90s girl power icon, Lucy Lawless, star of the new series, My Life is Murder, and who will always be Xena, Warrior Princess. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I want to talk about this new series first. Um, in My Life is Murder, you play a detective who comes out of retirement to solve murder cases. So yeah. what appealed to you about this role? Well, I'm a mad crime buff. 
In fact, I even go and sit in court cases when I find myself under uh, As I, uh, as I may have, yeah, as I saw. Murder, murder trials and... Um, uh, and I love it. I even went down to the Epstein bail hearing the other day. Yeah, well, t- tell me a little bit about that. Like, how did you end up at that bail hearing? Was it just that you wanted to go check Anybody out? Anybody can go to any, you know, any... The justice system has to be transparent and has to be... And that means the public really should show up to make sure that everything is seen and is kosher and on the level. And um, they make equal provision for press and public, it seemed. They let 10 press through, 10 public. So it's kind of a... It's a way of keeping things, keeping the world honest. Did you just want to go to that hearing as like, uh, just because you've been thinking about this character a lot, or did you do a lot of that Um, kind of stuff to prep to play this character? No, I'm a courtroom (laughs) ghoul. Um, But I do love justice. I love the idea of justice and what my life as murder is about. It just gives you this lovely little, the verisimilitude of justice, you know, because we are hungry for that these days. We feel, you know, it's pretty grim on the news and just give you a moment to recharge your batteries in a beautiful environment with lovely, gorgeous human beings who you want to hang out. It's kind of like cheers, but <laughs> for the murderers. For murderers. <laughs> yeah, cheers for murderers. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a place for you can go and just have a little bit of fun. It's kind of good, stupid fun and, um, and solve the crime. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, you're not just on camera. You're also the executive producer. Yeah. Do you have any other desire to do any writing or be you know, behind the camera in other ways, directing or anything like that? I've never had any um, urge to direct. Had tons of opportunities and it's huh. just not, uh, it, it's not what I want. I feel like that job deserves to go to somebody who is so hungry to do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I could do it, but I'd just be a dilettante. I'd just be messing around. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, so no, I'm just not attracted to that. I love that the buck stops with me as an actor. Yeah. And when I'm, when the camera's on, you're unstoppable. Yeah. Anything you do, uh, it stops with you. It's exciting. You know, I live for those moments that the camera's going. Well, I mean, you don't only live for those moments. Um, you have a really, really dedicated base of fans. Bless who, them. Yes. And actually, in advance of you coming on the show, I tweeted uh, out. And, I saw. I retweeted yes, you. Exactly. No, you did. It was it was wonderful. Um, and they, I learned they call themselves Zenites. And, um, you know, why do you think that Zena has just been so enduring that you have all of these really devoted fans even still? Well, apart from the fact that the show was about uh, universal themes of of, you know, love and courage and fear and justice and these things. So it related, everybody around the world could relate to it. You didn't have to understand the American jury system, you know, like LA law or whatever was going on at that time. Um, Apart from that, it gave people sort of messages of self-empowerment. And a lot of people took those messages out of the show and did some, made some incredibly positive change in their own lives for which they seem to credit the show and me, even though the magic was totally in there, <laughs> they did it. And, um, but I'm very happy to be associated with positive change. Mm. Well, um, we got one question from a, a fan named Adam who was wondering, are you planning anything for the 25th Xena anniversary in 2020? Yes, I am um, determined to be there with Renee and um, all the people that... Um, Tim Amundsen, who played Eli, uh, he was kind of like the Jesus-type character in the show, uh, is planning to come. We're going to do something special. I don't know what it is, but, um, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, we're going to do some little extra act yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, well, you mentioned uh, Renee, and you actually you did a live uh, reading of fanfic where Gabrielle and uh, Zena get married, right? How do you feel about being such a queer icon? People have put so much on uh, their relationship. Um, I'm fine. I'm, I'm delighted. Again, it's about positive change and self-empowerment. So if it makes people feel seen... I think that's what happened with the gay community. They felt seen, especially for lesbians. Everybody needs to see themselves on screen. That's why it's very good that we have far more, you know, diverse ethnicities being represented because that is our world. You look out on the streets of New York or Melbourne where I shot the shit, My Life is Murder, it's really diverse and everybody's getting on great mm -hmm. for the most part. So, every, you know, we watch the news and it's kind of terrifying about... Um, I've just got off topic, didn't no, I, darling? Please, go with but, it, go with but it. the truth is, on the street, <laughs> we are all communing beautifully together and um, people want to see themselves reflected on screen. Otherwise, they feel ignored, less than, and um, devalued. Yeah. And that's not healthy for society. So um, um, I'm delighted to have been part of something that empowered the gay community. And I've always thanked them so much for making the show cool first. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to get to New York. Yeah, and I, I want to get to another tweet from a fan. Zach wanted to know: Is there a role you turned down that you later regretted, or a role you ever wish you'd been offered? Oh, well, I mean, there could be so many that I'd wish I'd been offered, but um, <laughs> I can't think of them right now. I'm a little bit like the goldfish, you know. I live. I have 15 second memory behind me, and 15. <laughs> I'm just having a great time. Um, roles that I've turned down. Oh. No, I don't know. You don't, you don't have any, I don't know. No, you have no, no regrets no. about anything. No. Well, one of the things, you, you did start to talk a little bit about the news and kind of the state of affairs, and um, you're also active in environmental issues. So yeah. why has it been important for you um, to get involved in, in these kinds of issues and, and social movements? Um, because I... Specifically, it's climate change that I'm involved in, in the fight against. Um, because I want my children and your children and pe people whose kids I've never, will never meet to be safe, and they deserve that. If they're brought into the world, we should not be degrading their future. Um, it is a matter of justice, and um, I really am very, I feel very dis brutally disappointed in my generation for not stepping up, for saying, oh, the kids will fix it. How dare we as parents? abrogate our responsibility to protect our kids. Mm -hmm. So um, it's the, um, so if, if anything brings out the warrior in me, it is that. And I try to keep my causes quite tidy because otherwise you're just a jack of all trades, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, it's about just honouring the life in, in, other, in all life on the planet. Mm -hmm. We all rise together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that that is a lovely note to end our conversation on. Thank you so much for joining it's my me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and My Life is Murder makes its U.S. premiere Monday, August 5th on the streaming service Acorn TV. And up next, Zach is talking about the Big Little Lies season finale. So I am getting out of the studio. I want no spoilers here. Last night was the series finale of Big Little Lies, and the timeline is shook. 
Heads up, spoilers are ahead here, so feel free to watch the Cats content we just tweeted out. You should actually watch that, it's quite good. Uh, but joining me now to break down what happened not only last night, but during the entire Wild Ass season is TV critic for New York Magazine and Vulture, Matt Zoller Sight. Hello, Matt. Hey. Good morning. How are you after last night? You shaken? Are you awake? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm a little sad that uh, Meryl Streep, I'm not going to be able to watch Meryl Streep every week. That was that was sort of my main thing Ooh. this season. Amen. And we're going to get to that a little later. But let's start off with the piece you wrote for Vulture. Um, it's, you wrote, HBO's Big Little Lies was plagued by messy drama on both sides of the camera this season. Tell me about the drama off the screen and how did it impact how the show turned out? Well, it's hard to say exactly, you know, to play detective and figure out how exactly it affected what we saw on screen. But uh, Jean-Marc Vallée and uh, David E. Kelly adapted Leon uh, Moriarty's novel, Leon, uh, Leon Moriarty's novel for season one. And it had a nice kind of self-contained, almost miniseries-like feeling to it. And then it was such a big hit that they decided to extend it another season. And we'll get to whether or not this was a good idea mm. to, to go for a second season in, uh, in a minute. But one of the big decisions that they made was uh, where, uh, you know, previously Jean-Marc Vallée had been the sole director of season one. They brought in Andrea Arnold, who's an award-winning independent filmmaker, to, uh, to helm all of season two. And then at a certain point, I guess they decided that she wasn't doing uh, work that was consistent with what they had established in season one, and they substantially re-edited season two. And you can see that reflected in the opening credits because they have an unbelievable number of editors that are credited. I mean, it's really unusual. Even It's not unusual for a television show to have like more than one name as an editor when you see the episode credits, but this one had... It was it was ridiculous. It was like, you know, like an old fashioned telephone directory. And the season finale last night, I believe, had 11 names on it. So you can see that some drastic uh, surgery after the fact was happening. And that may account for the, the kind of uh, choppy rhythms of season two. Like I felt like they had like whatever you thought about the aesthetic of season one, it was consistent. It felt like everybody was on the same page. Everybody knew what they were doing. Uh, and in season two, it felt like they were going for something different, something that was a little more like the kind of independent film that Andrea Arnold would direct, which is more dependent on longer scenes and longer takes. And then they were also kind of pulling you in this other direction and trying to do the big little lies thing where it's more fragmented and there's flashbacks, little snippets of flashback appearing in the middle of scenes and, and, and time is shuffled a little bit and so on. Mm. And, uh, I, I'm not really, I, I don't really feel like it was that successful in, in telling the story this season. I felt like there were too many cooks in the kitchen. And I felt that even before I'd heard the story of, of uh, what went on behind the scenes. Mm. So let's jump back into this season and what we were left with without Andrea. The finale had these five minutes, these last five minutes of the episode that were intense. So much happened, so much resolution within the women's personal lives. So why, oh why, did they all end up at the police station? Well, I, I have to assume it's because they're going to confess. I mean, I, I don't know what other conclusion we're supposed to come to. It's not like they're all going to get together and go tell another set of elaborate lies to the police. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like the whole, the, the kind of masterstroke of this conspiracy is that somehow this is like, apparently this is the rare criminal conspiracy involving five people where they're all able to stay on the same page and not contradict each other enough to get in trouble. Ooh. <laughs> you know, usually that doesn't happen. Uh, so uh, 
I just don't know what I don't know how else we're supposed to read that. I mean, I think I, I think Bonnie's going in there to confess that she uh, pushed Perry down the steps and the other four are going to admit that they helped cover it up and, and that they all lied. That's what I think that's about. And I also think that um, I don't think I'm the only person who speculated this, but I don't think there's going to be a season three. Really? Well, can I? I jump, so. I'm going to jump in here. So. I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> Let's let, okay. So let's break it down. Let's here. break let's, it down because you know Nicole Kidman did say to People Magazine that she would love to do a season three of Big Little Lies because she says there's so much more to come. So you don't think that's going to happen, even with Miss Kid- Kidman stating she wants it? Well, you know what? Here's what I think could happen. I think I think it's possible that there could be another another a season. I would say another iteration of Big Little Lies, but maybe it's just Nicole Kidman. Really? They're different tasks. Like maybe she leaves town and tries to begin again or something like that. But but this group of women, like for one thing, uh, for me, the most striking thing that happened in that finale was not the cross-examination of Mary Louise, which was supposed to be the big fireworks display. And I don't, I don't think it quite got there. It was uh, the scene where Celeste essentially says, well, the big little lie is that we were all friends. Ooh, that was tea. That was so much. You know, yeah, and and you know, I don't think she's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she's wrong because one of my one of my issues uh, throughout the show, and this is true in season one, was that uh, I never entirely bought the idea that these women were truly friends. I felt like they were provisional friends, and that they were all joined together by the same circumstance, like being part of this community. They have kids in the same school. They're you know they're super rich people, uh, you know, with rich husbands and big houses by the sea and all that stuff. Like it was a circumstantial sort of friendship. I very rarely felt like it was a deep, true friendship. There were times when I think that came across, but a lot of it felt more like, uh, when you describe somebody who lives on your block as that's my friend, but it doesn't mean that you're really friends. Yeah. Yeah. It means that you see them every day and you talk to them and it's like, Hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? Mine's busted. It doesn't, it didn't feel like, like, uh, like like a deep, powerful, soulful kind of friendship. Once in a great while, it did. But uh, and one of my uh, one of the things that I kind of kind of bothered me about season one was I felt like they never really addressed that. Mm. Like not in the way that I wanted them to, and, and they never really did it in season two, except when they got to the end. And and you know, like Bonnie in particular, I was like, I don't believe that Bonnie really. Do you think Bonnie thinks that those other women are her friends? <laughs> You know, <laughs> I agree. I agree. You know, that very, I don't, thing, believe it. It, I don't think she thinks that I think she thinks these are the closest thing I have to friends. Yeah. But well, I don't think she thinks those are my friends. Well, Matt, I, this is a very searing take on a very popular show. And I don't know if you're going to have friends after this, but I want to say thank you for joining <laughs> me today to break it down. Cause we were having a okay. circumstantial friendship to have this conversation. Cause I love Bonnie and I think they're all best friends. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree <laughs> on that. But you know, can we agree that Meryl Streep was amazing? Incredible. She's going to win an Emmy and Oscar. She'll win an Oscar. They didn't even give Oscars for television. So she's going to. No, no. I think if they gave a special award for bringing a show back from the dead, they would have to give her that too. Well, Matt. All right. There we go, Twitter. Well, Matt, thank you again for joining us. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Are you hoping for a season three or would you be satisfied with just seeing Andrea Arnold's cut? Tweet us your thoughts using the hashtag AM2DM and stay right there because there's more AM2DM up next. Charlie Blotner, you tweeted, in celebration of 10 years in print dedicated to trans masculinity, Original Plumbing Magazine has compiled this collection to recap the past decade of language, history, and experiences. Thanks for the feels and time capsule. Rocco Cayados and Amos Mack, the creators of Original Plumbing, the best of 10 years of trans male culture, join me now. Thanks, y'all. 
Thanks for Thank having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, so for anyone who is not familiar with the publication Original Plumbing um, and this book, why did you initially want to focus on transmasculine and trans male issues and culture? I think I transitioned about 20 years ago, so I didn't see much in the way of representation, and I was a performer, so I never was interviewed about anything aside from my transition. And then when Amos approached me to be in a photo project... Yeah, as a photographer, I was really interested in capturing the transmasculine community that I was living around in San Francisco, and of course, being one of those people was Rocco. And when I was documenting different people and interviewing them to put alongside with a small zine, Rocco had this idea to kind of make it into something ongoing. And that's really where it all started. And We committed to a year. It blew up. <laughs> yeah. it, it became a really big thing. It was kind of the biggest moment for trans male and trans masculine visibility that had happened. Um, and so it took off. So we just committed to doing... Ten years. All of a sudden, ten years, ten years, ten years later, years. we're here. Ten yeah. Years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like that would speak to like the dearth of visibility that existed then. Where are we right now in terms of trans male and trans masculine visibility? Has it improved? Is I would there, say like, no. Still? Yeah. yeah, I think that we're kind of in the same place, if not less interested. I think hmm. with the emergence of more and more kind of trans umbrella um, identities, there's still a very small sliver for trans men specifically, a little bit larger for the trans masculine umbrella, but trans men are not really widely known or seen or um, given a platform to speak. But with movements in Hollywood, I do think there are more trans men being featured and like in trans roles. So that's one thing that we're seeing more visibility in terms mm -hmm. of like television and film. But in general, I agree with you with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the book specifically. Um, why did you want to compile all of these favorite and uh, you know most precious issues and, and bits and pieces from those issues together? I think like from the very beginning, one of the dreams was if we have this magazine long enough, it would be beautiful to create a coffee table book or something to hold and, and have it be an accessible piece of history and you know have it be in libraries. And that was the dream in first after the first issue. And after that, it was just the timing of the 10-year anniversary and the 20th issue was coming up and we started talking to the feminist press and it just really fell into place and it was something that we both wanted from the beginning. And now it's this nice time capsule because we yeah. kind of, it, we began this project as social media was also taking off. So there was more and more visibility on those platforms. But now if you're uh, someone who grew up seeing trans men or trans masculine people mostly in social media, you maybe didn't pick up the magazine. And now the magazine exists in this full time capsule where you can go back to the old days 10 years ago and take a look at what was happening for trans men. Yeah. Are there any individuals or photos or interviews you did that like really still stick with you even now? I think that the for us, the hero issue, issue is, yeah, that was, was the most kind yeah. of important and significant thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Um, again, we knew immediately when we started this project that we would work to getting to a place where we could have that valuable issue come out. So we were able to speak to like Jameson Green about what it was like before, what he did, the work he's done for the community. We were able to speak to Kate Bornstein. And um, Janet Mock. Yeah, and then we were able to preserve, Kathy Opie gave us photos for it. Um, and then we were able to bring all these, FM International was this newsletter that existed in the 80s and 90s in San Francisco, and we were able to reprint some of those. So it's this nice piece of history and our nod to like the history and the path mm -hmm. that came before us to lay the groundwork for us to be able to do a project like this. Mm. Well, one of the things in the actual dedication of the book is that you, you dedicate it to the folks who are a lighthouse for you. Um, who do you want this to be a lighthouse for? This generation. The kids. The yeah. kids. For the kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and for people who maybe are just now understanding that they have a trans identity or experience. So yeah. I really think that this is 
this is for someone who wants to see literally 10 years of trans male culture. Like that's, it's, we're not trying to, you know, document like the entire history of trans masculinity or the future, or talk about too much of the future, but it's really, this is what we live for 10 years and it's something to be honored and, you know, it's, you can see yourself reflected in it. Yeah, because it was a platform for people to speak for themselves and not just about their transition, which didn't exist and kind of doesn't exist because it's usually outsiders that are interviewing trans people. So the transness is a footnote and the rest is about their lives. I think you get to see whole pictures of people and people were so generous to be a part of this project and it's all over the place in terms of like where someone identifies and how they relate to their identity that there's no way that you can pick this book up and not see a piece of yourself reflected or see a potential for your future, which is the biggest thing for me because I didn't see a future. And I think this book allows people to imagine who they could be in the future. Well, I think that is such a nice note to end this on. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thanks so much Thank for you. having us. And Original Plumbing, the best of 10 years of trans male culture is available now. Up next, Zach and I read your tweets. Welcome back. Oh my God, you got to meet your icon. I did. <laughs> I feel like actually today was all about icons yes. to me, like Lucy Lawless, Frankie Grande, also yes. talking to Amos and uh, and Rocco, Rocco. here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about like creating visibility. Yes. Who are two people I admire deeply. Yeah. Rocco and I ran into together with a bunch of other people, this magazine that Grinder had. Uh, and Rocco and Amos are like talents, visionaries, yeah. luminaries, all the things. So definitely check out that book. It is a piece of history yeah. that deserves to be celebrated. Yeah, just a lot of the thread through today's show was just like visibility yes. and how that impacts And taking people, and standing so. in your truth. And standing and in power. your truth. I and taking love that. Your power. I love it. Happy well, Monday. <laughs> Happy Monday. This is now a Super Soul <laughs> yes, Monday. Yes, Super Soul Monday. Hi, and I'm Oprah Winfrey, and this is Super Soul Well, Monday. before we go completely <laughs> off the rails, we have to get to, before we get to your tweets as well, we have to discuss Tom Hanks becoming Mr. Rogers in the first trailer for A Beautiful day in the yes. neighborhood. It just dropped and I am shook by it's the resemblance between Tom Hanks. Twins. And yeah, Mr. Rogers. It looks amazing. You know, I caught the trailer during your interview. I was doing watching both and it looks beautiful. But what I was surprised to find out that it's not solely just about Mr. Rogers himself, but it's also about a journalist who's a real person that wrote for Esquire that profiled him. Yeah. He says that their life was changed forever from being around Mr. Rogers. So I'm really excited because I think we all have that narrative about Mr. Rogers that just through experiencing whether it was in television or in real life, he did impact us. And so we're going to see a movie about that. Yeah, I feel like in uh, 2019, we need more Mr. Rogers, more Mr. Rogers vibes, content. more like being a good neighbor kind of thing. Mr. You know? Trump should probably watch, you know? Whoop. All right. Well, beyond Mr. Rogers, we want to know what Marvel Phase 4 film you are most excited to see. And Brian says, I'm most stoked for Thor 4, but I'm going to see all of them. I'll probably go multiple times to the ones that thrill me. I think Eternals has the highest chance of surprising me, and I agree. I'm so excited. Eternals has Angelina Jolie yeah. in it, right? It, it feels everyone. like very adult to me. It's going right? to be quite dark. And people forget that, you know, Blade, which is also coming back, yeah. very dark, 1990s superhero film. So, you know, these aren't always lighthearted and fun. They actually deal with some dark themes. All right, yeah. well, better start saving up, everybody. So. <laughs> yeah, save your coins. <laughs> the theater. Yeah, well, thank you to our guests, Frankie Grande, Adrian Lawrence, Dave Bowman, Matt Zoller-Seitz, Lucy Lawless, Amos Mack, and Rocco Callados. And we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day, Twitter. Thank you.